Welcome back in to the David L. Gray Show, Voicing Truth and Reason. This is our Monday segment where I try to you know, give us something to think about. So, and surely I'll be joined by David Gordon, who is a Catholic author. He's also a journalist and also a host of some shows over at churchmillsin.com. I'm sure you've seen him there if you're a fan of that apostolate. Uh, the topic today is whether the T in the sexual deviancy catalog of LGBT, Q+, whatever, is the greatest heresy in the Catholic Church since Protestantism. David Gordon recently wrote an essay on this topic uh, concerning transgenderism, and we'll unpack that and dig into that and some other topics related to it, including the recent document published by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops for the continental stage at the 2021-2024 Synod uh, called um, For a Synodal Church, which is just, just a weird thing immediately right that catches our eye right because we, we thought all this time that there are four marks of the church that there that was it was one holy catholic and apostolic like we say in our creed but apparently um they'll be adding um a fifth mark to our creed pretty soon called synodal uh so yeah we're going to talk about that document towards the end but before we get started please make sure you hit that like sub and notification bell if you haven't already big shout out to all my supporters on this channel, um, those of you who keep me in your prayers, also over at Patreon and YouTube, um, the members, thank you for helping pay the bills around here, like I always say. And please consider joining us on Patreon. The link is below in the description box. One of the perks of becoming a Patreon member is you become a lifetime member of stdominicsmedia.com. And what a lifetime membership entitles you to um, is... Uh, access to all of our theology courses and uh, uh, access to the digital version of all the books that we've published. So yeah. Also the biggest part is that you get to say that you support David O. Gray, but let's get into the show. Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have spotted a man with a donut in one hand oh. and rosary beads in another. Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind. He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason like no rigid Catholic ever has before. The David L. Gray Show begins now. David Gordon, welcome into the show, man. Thanks a lot for having me on, David. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you here. Um, some time ago, I remember I was on your podcast. I think we were talking about some cultural issue, and I uh, really enjoyed my time there, and I'm um, looking forward to having you over here. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to the upcoming discussion. It's going to be great. Yeah. Now, people who watch my show recently know that I'm not a huge fan of Michael Knowles in particular. I think his position... <laughs> On a on a death penalty is rather extreme, you know. I think it's you know if you ever really listen to him, it sounds kind of closer to some Muslim countries, I think, than the Catholic Church. But uh, but I, I would say that when it came to this issue that I read you cover over at trustmilton.com, I couldn't really agree more um, of his position that you really unpacked thoroughly. So I want to get into that essay. But for those who have not read it, just hop over to trustmilton.com. You can really just go into a search bar and type David Gordon and all his 
essays and everything, all his work comes up. But the essay is entitled In Support of Michael Knowles, Let's Eradicate Transgenderism Together, subtitled. Like I said, it's a piece I like, and um, everything is in there. But you can you really um, can you unpack the theses for us and like some of the major points that um, you covered? Sure. I mean, honestly, the thesis of the article, because I'm so sick of as soon as a conservative or a Catholic really goes out there and gets the sand to take a strong stance against something or for something, you know, unpopular, but true. I'm sick of them getting devoured by the, the kind of prigs on the right, the virtuous virtue signalers on the right and within the church. Something we have to get better at is when our brothers kind of make a real stand on something. Um, they really draw a line in the sand and, um, you know, sound their barbaric yop to the world. Uh, we need to get better at circling the wagons. And it's something that the left does very well. It's something the left does intuitively. They always protect their own. They don't eat their own. Even, and obviously this goes even when they're in the wrong, even when, you know, somebody on the left does something that's indefensible, like logically, um, inconsistent and indefensible they still get defended by by the left the right doesn't do this as a matter of fact we we kind of like claw at each other to be the first to be like you know what that's michael knowles doesn't speak for us he doesn't speak for the real christians you know why because you know real christians don't say things like that sure we believe that transgenderism is disordered we believe that you can't you can't do that but his tone is wrong the way he said it was wrong. Anytime, and this is why we get so watered down. Anytime the conservative guy gets the, the moxie, the courage to do something bold, you have the virtue signalers, the same ones who lost the culture wars for us in in the first place over the past like 40 or so years. They they can't scramble fast enough to attack uh their brother to attack somebody that's in their own cohort on their own side and i find it really despicable and reprehensible and self-defeating and and all that so we need to get better at giving fraternal encouragement when we see Mm. someone do something like solid and and laudable and admirable we need to come to their defense and and really circle the wagons so they don't get fired from the right or the left i mean that was the reason i wrote it and obviously Mm. It's a defense substantively of the merits of his point of view also. Right. And so was he really saying let's eradicate transgenderism and or, or, or like unpack what was he saying? Not 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 that was eradicate the people or eradicate the ideology. What was he talking about? Sure. Now, of course, when you say something strongly, the left always strawmans what you say. They take it, um, they degrade it, they take it out of context, they purposely misrepresent it as being almost an act or a threat of physical violence because they can't win on a level ideological um, or intellectual playing field. They can't. They get you know destroyed. Men can't be women. Just cutting off your your genitals or mutilating them somehow does not actually make you a member of the opposite sex. And it, it's something I, I said in the article, right? Um, it's like the Mister Garrison thing, like from South Park, where it's, am I gonna, you know, I'm not. I missed my period after my um, transgender surgery. I must be pregnant, and the doctor's like, well, you know 
men they they can't actually uh <laughs> you know become uh pregnant so um i just lost my train of thought what well, can you refresh me on the question david <laughs> yeah in your essay you you have really talked about the the science of the issue itself how how like you were just saying like men are just biologically men um and just biologically bone structure and everything you have really unpacked so much science but was was michael knows was he was he talking about eradicating people like um just lining them up and just put them on a guillotine or was he more talking about just the ideology itself of course. Yeah. Uh, apologies. Absolutely. You know, it's clear from the context of what he's saying and from just knowing his background, he's, you know, he's a fairly mainstream guy. He's not going out there calling for a pogrom against homosexuals as if we're taking to the streets and going to form like some kind of a mob to go out and destroy these people. It's not going to be crystal knocked, uh, against them. Not at all. And then anyone who's in, um, who's an honest cultural observer, you know, that's, that's obviously the sense when he talks about, let's eradicate transgender ism, you know, that ism, that's the ideology. He's not talking about let's eradicate transgender. So you have to give effect to the black letter of what somebody is saying. Again, if you are an honest interlocutor, you give effect to the black letter of what they say. You don't take it from the weakest point uh, and spin it into something weaker and more attackable and then go from there. It's the opposite of like what Aquinas did. You know, he always took the strongest points of his opponents and dealt with them and went in reverse order. The left, they spin your words into something you never said, and then they try and attack that. So they made it like he said, let's attack transgenders as opposed to let's eradicate transgenderism this noxious ideology yeah and that, that, i think that is pretty common in society too um sometimes i see it as well when i'm watching mainstream conservative news um, especially when they have they have a politician on there that we just don't have fair and honest dialogue in society um in in a lot of in a lot of quarters that we tend to go after the weakest point because we don't want to have dialogue. We want to go for the win. We want to go for the easy point. We want to go for the talking point. And so when it, when it comes to this issue, it, that's one way that uh, one thing that makes it very hard because people always want to take our words and think we're attacking a person. But what we're doing, we're really dealing with an issue. We're dealing with sin. We're dealing with psychological disorder. Um, we're dealing with psychosis. We're, we're talking about a ideology that many professional psychologists just 50 years ago um, considered to be a mental illness. And I think just on the surface, a lot of people would, would recognize that. We'll get into the Pew Research poll here shortly. But um, we would recognize this on a lot of levels when a person, when it's apparent that one thing is true. And the person is telling telling us that no, that's not true, and they're inviting us into like their state of psychosis, right? Like, no, I'm I'm actually not what I look like. I'm actually not what my biological organs and my my chromosomes tell you I am. I'm actually what um, I, I think I am, right? Or what I what I feel comfortable being. And so yeah, that's one of the reasons why I think it's the most dangerous ideology. Is that it's it's a sickness, I think. And again, I'm not talking about 
I'm not talking about the individual. I'm talking about just maybe just the, the, the mental state and just where they're at um, mentally. And so, um, what, what would you say? What would you say about that? You know, honestly, what's behind it? And it was never about tolerance. You know, that was what they called for for so many years until they could get gay marriage ramrodded through the Supreme mm-hmm. Court through that act of judicial you know, tyranny. Um, it was, it's never about tolerance for the left because they're living a life that doesn't comport with the natural law. They're living a life of disorder and vice and by us existing and refusing to assent to their lie, we're actually acting as we're, we're living a contradiction to them. Our existence, because it contradicts the fabricated reality that they've crafted for themselves, they can't yeah. tolerate that people exist. They're like, sorry, you're actually not a woman. You're actually a man. Yeah. You, you, this is, you can pretend all you want. You can be Dylan Mulvaney and prance around like uh, an adolescent girl um, in, in a leotard or whatever. Uh, and you can have like the exaggeratedly hyperbolically feminine manners, which is always yeah. like no woman acts like that. You're acting like a no. ditzy 14 year old. I'm not going to assent. You can't make me say two plus two equals five. And and that the fact that they can't make us do it, it sticks in their crawl. It bothers them because they know they're living a lie down deep. Dylan knows he is not, in fact, a woman. Uh, Bruce Jenner knows he's not, in fact, a woman. It's it's biological science. You know, you can look at their skeleton and say this skeleton belonged to a man. I can tell from the hips. I can tell from the head size. I can tell from the hand size. I can tell from the bone density. And if you look at the brain, you can tell from that. They the fact that we exist, though, it will always bother them, which is why it's propaganda. It's a constant deluge of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, without propaganda, of course, we revert back to the natural human condition, which is recognizing, as every single society in the history of the world did, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And um, that this sort of behavior is uh, a travesty and is disordered. So without the constant deluge of propaganda, that's what we get because it's deep within the human condition to recognize truth, even if we have concupiscence and it clouds our judgment time to time. So that's why you always see the propaganda. It will never stop. They have to keep putting energy into that system to keep the system from reverting back kind of through this anti-entropy to to what the status quo of like the human condition is, which is to find that stuff disgusting. But how do we get to this point where we're um, enabling this ideology? I mean, you, you make the point. You make the point well, right? That we uh, that there that there's a system in place that is not dealing with the truth of what's really going on here. But how do we get to this point where we're acting as well? There's a segment of society that's just acting as enablers, and it would seem that there's even a part of society, again, we'll get to the P resource poll, but it seems to be there's a segment of society that just, you know, is it just kind of wants to live in this fairy tale where this isn't really going on. And they themselves, I think, are acting as enablers by not dealing with it, by not fighting, by not by not pushing back. So, but how do you think we've gotten to this point where a large segment of society is just enabling this type of sickness? It's a really good question. And 
honestly, I, I've heard several answers to it. And what I think is most compelling here is you got to look at patterns and there's patterns that go along with the progressive ideology where they never pump the brakes because they can't fathom that their initial impulses were wrong. So, mm -hmm. for example, I honestly think that LGBT, every bit of it, is an outgrowth of the feminist movement. Okay. And rather than saying, um, you know, this has been a failure, this this movement, the feminist movement has been an utter failure. It's been a train wreck for society. It's introduced divorce, contraception, um, abortion, made these things widespread, upended the family, destroyed the in wedlock birth rate all of that, they won't pump the brakes on that. Um, they won't say that the root cause is bad. So they just go along and say, well, this yeah. is the natural outgrowth of this. This is a natural outgrowth of this. This is the natural outgrowth of this. And since we're never going to re-examine first principles, this stuff must all be good. So this really is all an outgrowth from androgyny, which is part and parcel of the feminist method of overthrowing patriarchy. You know, they're, they're really a couple methods that are front and center for how feminism wanted to overthrow the, the, the God-given patriarchal order. Um, I think for our purposes here, first and foremost, is ushering in androgyny. And you even see people like Susan B. Anthony and the first wave feminists who were told mm -hmm. are the good ones, who are actually, you know, very pro-divorce, very, they're evil old harpies. Um, Susan B. Anthony was calling for, um, womanly men and manly women. She wanted an inversion of the sexual roles because that's part and parcel of them getting their place in, in the brave new world, in this new order that they craved. Um, and of course, the other means that they're using, which the second wave feminists largely use, but they also embrace, like Betty Friedan also called for uh, an inversion of gender roles or sex roles, um, you know, getting women out of the house. And that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But um, androgyny is something that is part and parcel of this original feminist movement. And androgyny, Hey man, if there's no traits that relate particularly to a given sex, then we can be all over the place. Then that really paves the way for homosexualism uh, with all that it entails. And the T is the tail end of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like that, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And I think that's an, an interesting point that you made here before about maybe they rec recognize that they won't they don't want to go back to first principles so they keep going down this you know as a snowball effect of ignorance and so i, I, I and, and, and i was I, I will admit that i was i think i was at least partially wrong back in 2010 you know i was looking at this whole issue the whole pro-life movement i was looking at this new homosexualism which you know was was, was even just 2010 was <laughs> we're talking about just 13 years ago it was a little bit different than it is today and i was looking at this movement, um, David Gordon, and I said, man, I think that's the new pro-life issue. In, in an essay I wrote, here's a little paragraph I wrote at the conclusion. I said, the new pro-life movement will have to transition from just holding public awareness events, such as marches and rallies and demonstrations and standing outside of abortion clinics, to making an aggressive proclamation and integration of the natural law into every aspect of civil, of civil society, for example, law, education, government, and, and the family. And I, I was saying that because it, it seemed to me then that, yes, homosexuality, um, you know, 
the first principle I think I, th- I think I was looking at was just I, I was so consumed back then about population control, right? And the, the eugenics movement, and I thought the normalization of homosexuality was really the end goal of that whole eugenics and, and population control movement, and that um, that that was what I thought would this attack on human life through homosexuality was would prove to be a stronger attack than just what the homosexual than what the abortion movement was. Um, I, I would say today that I no longer believe that the normalization of homosexuality is the end goal. I think, like you said, I think androgyny is, and I think Satan's goal, um, you know, as much as we can know about Satan's goal, right. Um, is I think to really, at least what I see today is really just to convince the world that there really is no such thing as male and female. I think, which is the most direct attack on, creation itself. I think in homosexuality, I think there's a recognition of male and female, right? You know, you have people with uh, males saying, oh, I'm still a male, but I'm also attracted to males. And also with so-called lesbians, you know, yeah, I'm I'm truly a female and I'm attracted to other people who are are truly females. But what androgyny is saying, what transgenderism is saying is that, um, you know, how it was created, right, um, is, you know, male, but I can, if I want to, I can become female, or if I'm born female, I can become male, and oh, I could change back, too. It's just really this fluid thing, you know, in, in modern medicine, AIDS and this, we, we've heard stories about people just being, you know, gender, so-called gender confused when they're kids, and they go see a psychologist or some sort of therapist about this who can prescribe pills, and the next thing you know, they're uh, um, hormone blockers, they're getting estrogen if they're uh, men, they're getting, they're getting puberty blockers at very early ages, and there was just this complicit, uh, just this complicity that the whole medical industry is on, on this whole thing as well. But yeah, but with androgyny, biological androgyny, I, th- I think it says that um, humans are not biologically one thing, that we're neither male nor female, which, um, you know, we could be masculine today, we could be feminine today, it's dealing more with external traits than just like an internal biology. So, uh, yeah, I think this just really just, uh, man, just I think an amazing just strike at creation itself, God making humans, male and female in his image and likeness. And so I think androgyny, this end goal of androgyny, like you say, is really just just the height of godlessness. And I think really just a true expression of atheism. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think a couple things. Number one, there's this weird paradox that we get into where in the transgender movement, people, androgyny has paved the way for the ability for transgenderism to go mainstream and have a place in like modern man's psyche. Mm -hmm. At the same time, transgenderism is almost a rejection of the very androgyny that made it possible. And think Mm -hmm. about it like this. 
you know, you'll hear about the, these mothers like transitioning their sons because he liked to do quote unquote girly things, right? Yeah. My kid liked to play with Barbie. So I made him put on a wig and act like a woman. Um, you know, Jason became Juliana overnight. Yeah. Um, and it, so they're recurring to these, you know, biologically determined behaviors like, you know, Dylan Mulvaney has adapted um, the hyperbolically feminism, feminine mannerisms to to show like his bona fides at um, being an, a real woman. So yeah. it's funny that the very thing that makes transgenderism possible mm -hmm. is a belief in like very sex linked traits, you know, because that's how you supposedly know you're transgender. Right. You have like these feminine qualities. If we were truly like androgynous and androgyny is indeed the predicate for all of this. But if we were truly androgynous, we'd just be like, there are no, you know, male, female trait, male traits. There are no female traits. Right. We're all kind of just, uh, you know, human beings. And therefore it would actually undermine and destroy uh, the ability to quote unquote transition. But beyond yeah. that paradox, which I find, you know, I don't think there's a real good answer to that. I, I think it's just that they know that there are sex linked behaviors. Everybody knows that every yeah. human society for all of history has known that and assigned men a certain sphere and women a certain sphere. Mm -hmm. um, they know that down deep, but yeah. you know, it, it doesn't come through. But beyond that, the, the T is the natural end of um, the homosexualist movement. The yeah. L, G, and B really all naturally culminate at the T. Um, and I mean that like this. Um, and it's a recognition the church's doctrines are correct, right? Because the church teaches that your sexuality is intrinsically related to who you are, to your right. identity. Right. Um, you know, we're still at the general resurrection. We're still going to get back male bodies and we're going to carry those because they reflect actually who yeah. we are, who yeah. God created us to be. Yeah. Um, so by, by engaging in same-sex behavior, they're essentially acting as a member of the opposite sex. So it's, it's kind of, it, it, it all gravitates towards the T because they're recognizing like, well, by being a gay man, I'm really effeminate and I'm really embracing, um, this sort of, sort of, uh, mock faux disordered femininity. Yeah. Um, and, and same with, with lesbians, like you would think that lesbians who will like cut their hair, you know, they'll get the butch flat top and start wearing like the baggy jeans and stuff and, uh, you know, wear the polo shirts. So they're, they dress like men. It's like, if you're yeah. really a, a lesbian, then you should want like the, the, you know, most feminine, you're attracted to women. You should right. to, to be like the most feminine that you could right. possibly be but they start acting like men you get these yeah. you know what what popular culture calls like the bold ike the stereotype right, right. Bold ike. It, it, it is so fake it's really mm -hmm. is really yeah so i mean that's what i that's what i would say there's two things there yeah and i i wonder though if the whole transgenderism though eventually has to just come head to head with with just just science itself right and that even you know these this push that we see in society to stop some of this in England, I think has already came to that point where 
some years ago, maybe a decade decade ago, where the United States is at now with this whole push of um, you know PBD blockers and you know all, all these medical things. And so I wonder if the it just has to come head to head with science, where they have to acknowledge that that no that that's a failed experiment that you can just can't biologically manipulate things, but rather. If we just recognize that there's no such thing as gender, that people are just biologically fluid and everyone is like Grace Jones. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Grace Jones, but but I don't think I do. No. Okay, yeah, Grace Jones used to be um, uh, an actress in the '80s. Uh, I think she was African, but she used to appear in I think even a James Bond movie. Um, a lot of movies, she was always this androgynous figure. She's like male or female. Um, and back in the eighties, we just kind of, it was just kind of like, oh, we really didn't think much of it. This, this idea of, you know, person being sort of like both looking like a man, but is a woman. But, um, so I think that's, so I wonder about that piece. It just has to come head to head with that and just recognize, oh, we're, you know, forget the science, forget the, the manipulation of the body. We're, we're just, we're just neither. We're we're just going to be these these people um that um that recognize that oh i'm i'm, I'm i could be whatever i i want to be um and the point that you have to, you have, you also made about the feminist movement i'm fascinated that the the strongest <laughs> um attackers of women that we're seeing today is not men right that the people who are attacking womanhood the most seem to be women. Women are the biggest anti-women that we see in society today. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, Because what they're ultimately clamoring for is not authentic femininity. It's kind of um, a feminized masculinity. Uh, They're not really trying to replace um, patriarchy with matriarchy. What they're trying to do is is replace it with uh, a feminized matriarchy or a feminized patriarchy. I'm sorry. Um, And yeah, they've sown the seeds for their own destruction. You know, they, they talk about, oh, we want women's sports. Well, it's the greatest irony of all time that the very things that came out of the feminist movement and this androgyny, which is culminated in widespread transgenderism in the um, the mainstreamization of uh, transgenderism is actually eating alive the women's sports that these feminists were calling for for so long. Yeah. So they've planted the seeds, yeah, for their own ruination. And I mean, if it weren't destroying every art, other part of society, and if it were just confined to like, you know, upending like, you know, women's soccer or something, I'd be like, whatever. <laughs> the problem is it's also, you know, perverting an entire generation of youth who are being exposed to all this stuff. But I mean, it's poetic justice. They, they've, they've sown their own destruction. They're reaping the whirlwind now. In, in some respects, because you got these guys that are women like winning women of the year awards and, you know, yeah. all the jokes like, wow, men are really better at everything, even that better at being women, apparently. Um, and they're getting yeah. like makeup commercials. They're displacing women from all these yeah. um, parts of society. Yeah. Yeah. And but it doesn't seem like society, at least in the, in the United States, have really caught up with this whole thing. You know, if you if you're watching conservative media, I think you see it 
quite often, right? Um, you know, Tucker Carlson, who I watch, you know, I think almost daily, you know, he's he's always on top of this. But Pew Research had a poll, um, David Gordon, back in September of last year. And they had asked uh, a number uh, the people they polled a number of questions. Now, when it came to, and I'll put the poll up on the, on the screen here, when it came to protecting transgender people from discrimination in jobs, housing, and public space, the majority of people thought that was a good idea, 64%. I think you and I as Catholics, we would agree that, you know, you don't <laughs> discriminate against people based on, you know, their, you know, some of their personal choices, right? Um, and so we would probably agree there as Catholics that, you know, discrimination uh, of jobs, housing, and, and public spaces would not be right. But then the poll starts to decline from there. When it said require that trans athletes compete on teams that match their sex they were born with, only um, 58. So 58 people strongly agree with that, that, yeah, if you're born a female, you should compete with women. So uh, 24% of people were, were neither uh, favored or opposed. When it said make it illegal for healthcare providers to help someone under 18 with medical care for gender transition, that people, there are only 46 people, 46% of people who um, agree with that. So make it illegal for healthcare, help, healthcare people to help people under 18. So um, we're starting to see some uh, a divide there, and it continues to break even as, as we go down. So require trans individuals to use the same public bathrooms that match their sex they were at birth. 41% people strongly agree that it should be the case. Make it illegal for public school districts to teach about gender identity in elementary school. 41% of people were strongly in favor of that. 38% were strongly against Investigate parents for child abuse if they help someone under 18 get medical care for gender transition. 36% to 37%, 36 to 37. So it's split there. Require health insurance companies to cover medical care for gender transition. 44% of people strongly disagreed that we should require health companies, uh, insurance companies to cover transition surgery. So uh, what were your thoughts on that poll, at least where the American populace is at on this issue? Yeah, I mean, that is, I, everybody always wonders, like you look back at history and you look back at certain tyrannical regimes, whether, you know, the everybody brings up the Nazis. Um, so why don't we look at that? Like everyone's like, how did this happen? How was it that everyone was okay with these crimes against humanity that were taking place yeah. and, and you know, the, the real pogroms that were actually happening um, and all the propaganda they used and their rhetoric. How was everybody okay with this all taking place? And then I look at modern America and I'm like, Oh, because if you show people five years of propaganda, then you can basically erase values mm -hmm. from most people are very programmable. You know, this is why Christ calls people, people sheep, you know, he, and you need shepherds there to feed the flock because most people will succumb 
to a, a vigorous propaganda campaign after just a few short years. So this shows that if you put a tranny, a cute, lovable, like house tranny in every sitcom for about five years, then you get all <laughs> the the dumb white suburbs women that are like, oh, I like them. They're neat and special. Yeah. And I do think that you should be able to transition people's kids behind their backs mm -hmm. um, in, in public schools. It's just, I am gobsmacked by the fact that the the numbers the support for for the transgenderism movement and all that it entails is as high as it is and that the backlash um the blowback yeah. against it is as weak as it is i'm more talking like 41 37 38 these are pretty even splits in politics yeah. it should be a hundred to zero do you yeah. want men pretending to be women in the bathroom with your wife and kids when they have to go to the bathroom in public. No. Do I want some like six foot three bruiser with a wig on destroying my little girls in like a soccer game and like, you know, who has bones and muscles that are like yeah. three times the size of hers. No. Have we lost our minds? Do we want um, health insurance companies to be paying doctors to perform mutilating surgeries needless uh yeah. recreational mutilating surgeries on little kids who can't make their own decisions about anything else you know they have to get a parent's note to take tylenol at school if they have a yeah. headache but yeah. we want a doctor getting paid to literally cut off their genitals or, yeah. oh, you know, make a neo-vagina, whatever they're called, or neo-ovaries, or a neo-uterus. Neo I can't believe I'm uttering these words. But, right. I mean, have we lost our minds? We absolutely have. Most people in America, most of our neighbors are crooked and absolute good-for-nothing sheep. And that's that's the message that comes out of this. I'm sorry to be that pessimistic. I really am. But I am... I mean, what's the word? It's beyond disheartened. It's yeah. I'm I'm frustrated to to no end, and my faith in the fallen human condition is utterly shaken. It's like this side of the eschaton, apparently, man's mind is such it's so malleable that he can be mind washed by like if you if George Soros throws a billion dollars at something, we can make men. And, and women believe that men can become women and women can become men. And we just have to play along uh, this big hulking dude with Adam's apple out to here, big old yeah. teeth and man hands and stuff, big old yeah. broad shoulders. Yeah. Uh, we have to pretend that's a, a, a woman. I'm the numbers disgust me. America yeah. and all of the West should be ashamed of itself. Yeah, they, they, they should be. It, it, it is. It is quite amazing to say. I, I know we had, we're quite familiar with that programming on television programming for a number of years with, as you say, the, the, you know, it's like a, you know, it's the cutest dog you can think of. I don't know, a, a golden doodle or something like that. <laughs> you know, just the cute little puppy. Right. And yeah. it, it was, you know, I don't compare, you know, people to dogs, but it's kind of like that. Like you said, with the, with the homosexuals for so many years, I forget when it started, but you know, the homosexual character, he was funny. Right. And he was, you know, he was lovable, and th that was really a successful. And I think it, the really my, <clears throat> the first time 
that we were sort of innocuous to it, you know, happened back, I think, in the 80s with uh, Three's Company with Jack Tripper, you know, that, you know, he was really that the first he was actually a straight guy. But on the show with Three's Company, he played, you know, he had roommates, uh, Chrissy and Janet. And his landlord would have thrown a fit, Mr. Roper, if the guy was actually a man. And this is the 80s. You know, men are supposed to cohabitate with women. So Jack Tripper pretended to be this gay guy. And um, so he's, you know, he was um, not not a threat, right? And so that's really like, the, we're kind of innocuous, innocuous to that. We kind of kind of laughed, oh, he's not really gay. He's, no, he's really in the girls. And then we it just more and more and more, we started to see, well, actual gay characters and they, they were funny they were you know this thing and that and i don't watch a whole lot of programming now because i try not to be programmed but there was this one show that i used to like back in the 80s it's called quantum leap mm-hmm. you know they always reboot these new shows they always reboot the show right nowadays because we, we our imagination is kind of screwed right we, we, we can imagine that a person with big hands and you know a thick neck and broad shoulders you say is a woman but we cannot imagine new original tv shows so we, <laughs> it's, it's strange so we reboot these television shows so they rebooted quantum leap and you know all these other shows and, and so quantum leap had this of course it had the you know i was you know about third episode they always tell you who the gay person is on the show you know so by third episode you know it is so by the third episode on this show we knew who the the gender confused person was this guy wearing makeup and you know um and so of course the last the the series finale was all about you know that that whole thing and so yeah so i i didn't think it would happen david with the transgender movement because i thought the whole thing was so completely gross and that there's no way that they could make a transgender person cute and lovable make him the golden doodle but they have and we see it and i've i've been shocked about how major brands from nike to now anheuser-busch to you know i think even jack daniels to so many major brands have embraced this sick ideology as well. And I, so I used to think, you know, you know, I, I graduated from, you know, my undergraduate degree is in accounting. You know, I spent a lot of time, you know, just studying business, right. Even, you know, I pursued an MBA degree in this. Um, and so, you know, I used to be quite familiar with just business. And I thought one of the major, one of the central objects of corporations was to make their shareholders happy, to turn a profit, to make money, to figure out how much more money can we make, right? How far can we push this, right? How, how fat can we make our coffers? But society is so sick, as you say, it seems that we were we would forego turning a profit. We would for we would even risk losing our CEO seats to promote this agenda such as we see with Anheuser-Busch recently with Dylan Mulvaney. So what what were some of your thoughts that come to mind when you see the corporations and the brands embrace this? I'm glad you asked that because this goes back to kind of the fundamental part of that article that I was talking about at the beginning. You know, the real thesis is that it's time to protect our own. It's time for conservatives to grow a spine. And when they do grow a spine, we have to come to their defense so that they don't get crucified by the other side. Um, It's similar in corporate America. Now, what happens 
whenever a company like Chick-fil-A or was it Mozilla Firefox where the CEO comes out and is like, mm-hmm. we're a family company or I believe that marriage is this. I'm a Christian. This is my belief on marriage. This is what marriage is. It's between a man and a woman. Two men can't get married. Two women can't get married. What happens? Then the, the media firestorm starts up. Um, the news... The news outlets, the mainstream media purposely keeps this center of attention in um, the the media in, in the news cycle for that period of time. And they start applying the screws, you know, they start tightening the screws and really applying the pressure. And it's always that economic pressure that they're putting on um, these CEOs. They know exactly the right buttons to touch. You know, this is irresponsible. How could you say something like this? You are there to turn a profit. You have a fiduciary duty to turn a profit for your shareholders, yada, yada, yada. You are undermining your mission as CEO. And this is what I never understood. Like profit doesn't come, come above truth or the common good. So that, that needs to be like understood in society when you're putting common good second and truth second, uh, even to something that is legitimately important. If you're the CEO of a company, like turning a profit for your shareholders, whenever you start burying those things, you are selling out the, the very fabric of society that you claim to be a part of. Um, but those guys never take a stand. They're never defiant. They never just stick out their jaw and be like, nope. I'm sticking this out. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Bam. I said it again. Give me another platform. I'll do another (laughs) interview and I'll just rub it right in your face. Here, Anderson Cooper, marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, Homosexuality is a perverse, uh, you know, it's a mental disease. They never double down. Like you see this, uh, this broad from Budweiser, the Bud Light CEO lady. Uh, She, she just double right down. Um, even though they're losing money, you know, some people have it at like four to five billion dollars of loss after they did, pulled the Dylan Mulvaney stunt. And um, we don't have that same fight in us for whatever reason. We have the truth on our side and we have no zeal. The left has no truth and all zeal. We have all truth and no zeal. It's pathetic. We're like whipped dogs. And um, no one will ever reverse this pattern. I don't know how it got to be that conventional squishy people uh, are the only conservatives that rise to prominent ranks in companies. Maybe it's a company culture thing. Um, so that's number one. Like, let's have some fight in us. Let's have some some pushback. There's got to be some people out there. And this might be a generational thing, but I am sick of it. Like, you know, I'm a millennial. I'm an older millennial. I'm sick of the consequentialism. And I think we all need to be sick of the consequentialism. Well, I know the truth is this way and I probably shouldn't do this on principle, but I just can't bear the consequences. If I actually stand up for my principles, it's like, forget all of that. Just do what's right and damn the consequences. And very few people have that attitude. Okay. So that's, that's that. That's first thing. Mm -hmm. Second thing is, This is a university problem. This is a systemic university problem. And this is what's happening when you've got, you know, neo-Marxist liberal ideologues running universities um, and jamming the critical theory down the throat of people and also selecting, kind of culling the herd um, and, and favoring unqualified or lesser qualified or maybe even all things equal, just people 
uh, that are LGBT or, you know, this is what happens when they're selecting for that. When you have these admissions committees at the elite universities that are taking um, not only are, are the professors at the universities grooming people into these um the sexual revolution, the Marxist ideology, the LGBT culture, but they're also selecting liberals to begin with. They discriminate mm -hmm. against conservatives when they're taking people to elite universities. So like, you know, uh, Wharton probably doesn't have a whole bunch of conservatives, you know, these, the, the prestigious business schools, the prestigious, yeah. you know, <clears throat> Yale probably doesn't have a whole bunch of conservatives. And it's like marketing program in its business program. Same with Harvard, same with, um, you know, all the Ivies, uh, they, anyway, so you're getting a crop of applicants that obviously are going off to, you know, these crop of, of students, the of yeah. matriculating, graduating students that are very liberal. And the big corporations, of course, are selecting at career days. They're getting interviews with like third year students, fourth year students. They're interviewing these highly liberal, uh, indoctrinated, uh, bud budding Marxists. And yeah. they're taking those and those people are working their way up the corporate ladder and they're getting these CEO jobs. And that's why you have like companies like Budweiser who market to a very blue collar base um, that have these people. There's a complete disparity between its leadership and its customers. So that's yeah. Mm, mm, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, because we, we know I mean, you've, you've you've we know how this works with career days. We know how. Um, certain recommendations from certain professors can get, can can go a long way. So uh, so yeah, I could yeah I, I could definitely see that because I was wondering how can a person like that did she submarine to that position as CEO? Did they not know who she was? But the way you're describing it, that is just just the culture. Someone like her would rise up in that culture of that's that's developed um, there in um, there and Heiser Bush. So yeah. I, yeah, I could definitely see that. What, what was surprising to me as well is that even even though our culture, the Christian culture, um, women um, um, and, and Christian men are the ones being attacked in a way. Not, you know, I'm not going to get in a whole. Not, I, I hate when Catholics consider you know the whole when we embrace the victim ideology, but just on on the surface, just our values being attacked. Um, it's amazing that the transgender crowd and their allies, they're the ones who feel like they're the ones being attacked. I was listening to a podcast on NPR talking about all the transgender gun clubs that, you know, the transgenders are they're Apparently they're, they're the number one gun buyers right now for guns and ammo. Um, so they feel like they're on a the defense, like they're being <laughs> attacked. And, you know, and of course, they're hearing, you know, they're listening to shows like Tucker Carlson, you know, and, and other conservative shows, you know, talking about how deadly a threat that they present to our culture. And and so uh, so they think the, 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 the violence is against them. Yet when we look at a couple of recent events, the 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 person who was born, I think, a, a woman, right, who in Tennessee has shot up the, the Christian school who identified as a transgender. Um, there was another one, I think, out in the West who another transgender planned to do some violent things, and that one was actually foiled. Uh, 
So not only so some of the just recent uh, physical attacks on our children was by those who identify who had that sickness. And then we look at the the fact that no, no, when we look at the issue, no, they're they're not uh, under attack from us at all. It's actually the case that I think the numbers um, recent data said eighty two percent of transgender individuals have considered killing themselves, and forty percent have attempted suicide. So they're the the biggest threat to themselves. And we get, of course, we get, you know, I think you touched on some why that is. Um, on society itself, we, we, you talked about the violent attack on just women themselves, on the women, women in general, in sports, in beauty. Um, the liberal trajectory seems to be towards this, this continued idea of representation, you know, um, inclusiveness. We talked about how every show, you know, started off have to have a gay person. Now, you know, they have to have a transgender person. And I was looking at this data and these trends. I was just recalling back there was a time when I remember being an undergraduate and I remember hearing a lot of people talking about how, um, you know, blacks aren't, and this is early, early nineties, how blacks just aren't represented well in television and on, in the magazines and in the, the modeling world. It seems like the, the standard of beauty is still European, you, the slender nose, the straight hair, you know, just, you know, what, what they identify as European features. And my has that changed, right? You look at television now, and that's not the case. You see somebody like Lizzo, who's this um, hip hop artist who's extremely overweight, right? And you know, she she's a standard of beauty. Um, Sports Illustrated, you know, has overweight women, unhealthy women, you know, on her on her on her magazine cover. Um, every commercial has a mixed couple. Um, it's usually um, you know a, a white man, so called you know a black woman, um, or vice versa. And so that whole thing seems to be. <laughs> seems seems to have have uh, fixed, you know that you know no every, everyone's represented now, and again a new representation again as we talked about seems to be we have to represent um, transgenders, um, and so what what are some of you, what are some of your thoughts when you when you hear things, um, David Gordon, such as transgenders feeling like they're the ones that have a gun at their head? I mean, obviously that's a preposterous thought within any, at least if it's said to be coming from Christians, if there's said to be an imminent threat coming from Christians towards transgenders, because the Christian ideology, as we all know, is one where, yes, I want to evangelize you. I want to help you out of charity, out of love for your eternal soul. You are a creature of God. If you're baptized, you're a child of God. I want you to be saved. But, you know, it's foreign to the Christian ideology to say, I want you to be safe. So me as a private individual, you know, I'm going to do violence to you um, or coerce you or just harm you out of hatred because obviously hatred is, you know, the opposite of charity. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a ridiculous thought. If it's going to, if there's going to be violence, it sure as heck's not going to be coming from any, you know, authentic Christian. Um, the, the fact is, I, that's what the left says. They, they want to make it where we can no longer successfully evangelize to 
um, the homosexuals. That's that's where all the emphasis is on really mm -hmm. undermining and attacking something like uh, quote unquote conversion therapy or whatever. They don't want us to have a public forum or a private forum to speak against this ideology that's warping people's minds. Yeah. Um, so by by conflating words against homosexuality, uh, by conflating words. Um, you know, preaching moral theology uh, and decrying the evil of homosexual acts by conflating that with violence. What they're really trying to do is to um, censor free speech. Um, it's trying to get us to to self-censor, to to shut up and not, you know, speak out against these things again, because they at the very in their very hearts, they know the behavior is disordered. So we're serving as a sign of contradiction to their wicked lifestyles. It's funny though. And, and you mentioned the, the fact that many, like four out of five, three out of four, it depends on where you look, um, of, of people who are transgender have attempted suicide or thought about suicide. Um, of course they have. And this harkens back to that principle we were talking about earlier, where your sexuality is part and parcel of who you are. It's part of the core of your identity. Like I am a man. That's part of my, my being. It's not just that, um, I'm like a soul in a body, uh, a ghost in a machine. And there's no interaction between the two. The soul is yeah. a form of the body. So, um, you know, my body is expressive of who I am. So that's like what Cardinal Walt, Walter Casper, actually, who's very liberal, but he's still a theologian in, in some of his writings. He's like, yes, this is called excarnation. The body, uh, you know, tells you about who you are. Um, transgender people hate themselves. Yeah. They, they, they despise who they are. They're at war with themselves. And to love yourself, that's the basis of being able to really love God and neighbor is that you want yourself to be saved, that God loves you. So you understand that you are lovable and you love yourself and you love God for loving you and you love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, that that's the principle that Jesus teaches. You know, he takes for granted that you're going to love yourself. So if you don't love yourself, no. of course, you're going to hate your neighbors. Uh, it, transgender people are a clear and present danger to society because they loathe themselves. So they can't have charity for others. Yeah. And there's no help coming from, you know, the Protestant church to like, like anything else, they've completely sold out on this issue. Um, you know, they sold out on marriage, then they sold out on sexuality, sold out on abortion, sold out er everything. There is no help coming from them on, on any moral issue whatsoever. You look at the Episcopal Church, the United Church of Christ, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Presbyterian Church. And I really don't care. You know, some people can point me to, well, what about this little Protestant church over here in Tennessee? There, you know, what, whatever. You know, they'll change their mind with the, the next guy that, that 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 comes in, and so, and so I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with with Tucker Carlson when he, he calls transgenderism like a, the new religion. You know, when I, when I was a um, you know a Freemason, when I was a Freemason, I used to tell Freemasons that you know Freemasonry is a religion, you know, because they had all the criteria. Now, because one one thing that transgenderism is missing that is, is I think is missing. 
um, a key piece. It doesn't have a nameable God, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have that piece. We could, we could say who their God is, but as a structure religion, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. But I see what Tucker is saying that it does have those elements of this, of there being a, a movement towards it in destination. I, I see that. So I, so case closed on Protestantism. I really don't, you know, I, th- I think what was happened there with all the transgender churches, we, we knew that was going to happen. So, you know, so, but when, when, it, when it comes to the Catholic church, you know, I am concerned, David Gordon. Um, you know, when I see Pope Francis reads, I think it's 2022, you know, there's this news coming out, you know, they couldn't, you know, New York times and all the Huff Post couldn't wait to tell us that Pope Francis met with some transgenders. I think it was four of them. And and now more and more I hear the Catholic Church in some of their official documents using this terminology called LGBT, which I think is very problematic to, to put in official documents at the Catholic Church as if though, um, you know, uh, people's personal uh, inclinations towards sin is some sort of reasonable way by which the church wants to identify people. I mean, the Catholic Church never <coughs> lumped together masturbators, adulterers. Um, thieves and murderers, <laughs> and said, and you know, named them ATM, whatever. You know, we we've never grouped people like that and identified them in 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 that way. So, but now the church is, you know, doing that. Recently, in the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and the Canadian Conference, in their response to the Senate, they published a document called for a uh, for a synodal church communion participation and mission. In which they use this language LGBT. What were what we are what are we to think about just this trajectory in the church? Sure. Well, I think it's it is important to understand what the liberal game is here, and it is this: he who controls the language controls the culture, and it's just a fact. So. The subtlety of the language, the reason that liberal prelates would be insistent on getting this LGBT moniker in these documents when it's never been used before a few years back um, by the church in church documents is it's a subtle nod that this is part and parcel of these people's identity. It's part who they are. And if it's part of who they are, this is planting a seed for saying that God created people uh, with this condition, that God willed this condition. Now, of course, the true answer to that is that this would be a privation, right? It just evil is not a thing in and of itself. It's a, it's a lack of some good, a privation of some good. And this disordered sexuality is a privation. It's a lack of the good of having a, um, an authentic and healthy and integrated sexuality as man or woman. But by calling these people LGBT and applying this moniker, um, we are saying they're a group. This is part and of who they are. And we need to now not just respect them as children of God in the sense that we recognize that as children of God, they have dignity. Um, it's, we're saying we have to recognize them and respect them for this perversion that they have tried to assimilate into the very fiber of their being. So it's trying to look at 
the L, the G, the B, and the T as if they are not disorders, as if they are not privations, and that they are authentic expressions of human sexuality, which they are not. And I, these people, I believe, are doomed to frustration. Um, you know, when Pope Francis has engaged with um, what transsexuals in Rome, I believe it is much more of the authentic kind of the church accompaniment than a lot of people maybe on the Catholic right would um, assume. I really do think, you know, I don't think he is... Uh, LGBT positive. I, I think he sees it as sin, as disorder. It's crept into some of his more recent statements to the point where James Martin even reached out to him and was like, when Pope Francis was saying that, you know, the, the whole hiccup with uh, gay marriage in the law, he was saying, well, it's not illegal, but it is immoral. I think he's actually stronger on that point than a lot of people think. I, I don't think he's part of the Lavender Mafia. Um, I just think he's dealing with it a little bit too, obviously too softly. I, I want him to root out this cabal in the church. But I think when he is doing these things like uh, taking care of transgender people, it's not to affirm them in their sin the way James Martin and his ilk are. It really is more to show that the church has an outreach for these people and it does view them as having dignity at the same time recognizing they need to turn away from their sin. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah. My only concern, Pope Francis, that I wonder is if he, because oftentimes, I, you know, it's, it's hard to know because I don't really get to read much of what he says and the language that he says it. But whenever I, I've been, I've read him and he always said orientation and these things, it, 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 I have a sense that he, he may lean towards people being truly born that way, whereas the church used the word psychological genesis. Um, so I, I wonder about that. You know, I haven't had a personal conversation with him about this, but it is, you know, a deep concern of mine. But I like what you said. I, I mean, the contrast of what you said when we were talking about in society um, with conservatives and people on the right, um, what are they, what, what is that movement doing there with them. Um, and you pointed to the idea that, um, well, the reason why they, they're painting them as people who are attacking them and people who want to stop conversion therapy and, uh, they, or they want to, you know, uh, stop putting into the conversion therapy is, you know, they want to weaken their moral authority saying, oh, these people don't have any authority on this issue. You know, they're bad actors. They're aligned with the proud boys. They, they really don't have anything to say that's valuable on this issue. Yet on the other hand, the, the Catholic church, which, you know, for a lot of, for many years, the left had been trying to say the Catholic church no longer has moral authority because of the, the sex child sex abuse issues. And now they say, oh, the church does have some moral authority on, on, on this issue. So it's very, very interesting that 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 this that we're, we're living in in a time <laughs> such as such as this is 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 very very interesting. And um, I, I want to really see what develops. And I, I like to, I definitely like your 
what you're saying in your essay that we definitely need to stand up, especially those in, in prominent positions, need to stop just bending over and take it. And we need to take a, something out of the playbook of the leftists who will double down on stupidity. <laughs> Right. So if we have truth on our side, why wouldn't we double down, triple down on truth? What what are we so afraid of? I love that, you know, that you're bringing that out. And so um, and and so I I, I definitely hold to where I'm at. I do think the whole transgenderism is in a form of a heresy. I think it's probably more potentially more dangerous than Arianism. If more bishops get caught up in it, um, um, I, I don't know if it's more dangerous than Protestantism. I think it's really just a byproduct of that whole idea that you know truth is relative, right? So I think it's a more of a byproduct of it. But um, dangerous in the sense that um, it is an attack on just creation itself, and I do think it's just an expression also of atheism. And I'll give you um, the final word on our discussion tonight. And thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks again for having me. I think it's a great discussion, and um, I really appreciate you reaching out. Um, a final word, I, I really think that, you know, for a society, and especially on the left, people that quote-unquote pride themselves on being scientific and rational to the point where they make fun of conservatives who can prove a priori that God exists. You know, it's a logical certainty that God exists. And in fact, if you look at the science, of course, God exists. But, you know, the left is constantly being like, oh, this is just a flying spaghetti monster. You have no evidence. You just believe in a man that lives in the sky. It's like, how do these same people say with a straight face then that a, a person who's born with an X chromosome and a Y chromosome and you know from the time they were in utero they were ex um, exposed to certain hormones in their mother's stomach in the womb that made their brains a certain way and that you know phenotypically the brain has certain traits that um, are determined by you know your chromosomal makeup and you your identity as either man or woman. Uh, in other words, the female brain is different from the male brain uh, physiologically. And the male brain is different from the female brain physiologically. Um, it's, we, how do these people say that with a straight face? How do they not see the ridiculous contradiction in their own rhetoric, you know, where it's a flying spaghetti monster. I, I, if I believe in, you know, God with all of these Thomistic proofs and all these scientific proofs and even looking at like the field of quantum physics and all these things that would suggest an unmoved mover, an uncaused cause. But then they think they believe in special hocus pocus rainbow magic where it's like, well, you know, I'm secretly, despite all of my genes and my bone <laughs> structure and my brain structure, uh, I'm really a woman living in a man's body. It's absurd. It, it, we let them get away with so much BS. Uh, when we have the moral high ground, we have the intellectual high ground. Now it's time to make use of the high ground and just absolutely eviscerate these people, annihilate them on, on the intellectual playing field. Uh, and that's what I would say. You know, there is no such thing as rainbow magic. If you're born with a male body, you're a male. And if you're born with a female body, you're a female, whether you like it or not. So cope. <laughs>
<laughs> that, that, was, that was quite a message. Um, man up. <laughs> I like that a lot. Thanks, David Gordon. I hope Thanks to see you again soon. God bless. God bless.